I blew my own mind because it, it felt strongly it was real and true. But when I got back to that empty bank account and I'm thinking, oh my God, we've only got like four nappies left. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, what have I done? Yeah. And you start questioning yourself and you go into panic and fear. Yeah. So when that happened, I was like, oh my God, I was right. I am amazing. I have magical powers. Hello and welcome to It Takes Tits, because taking life by the lapels and showing it who's boss, rising up and being unapologetically you doesn't take balls, it takes tits. I'm Bethany Lunn and I'll be delivering your bravery toolkit every fortnightly Monday morning to start your week off powerfully. Jennifer LaRue is a screenwriter, creator, and freelance writer who knows what's good for her. Diagnosed with ADHD in 2019, Jen talks openly about how this became a powerful self-discovery, how she built her blind belief system to get shit done, and when she came into power in deciding upon no more shrinking to please others. From hard-hitting stories of wanker employers, her words, to losing and knowing yourself and embracing the F-word, fat. I chat to Jen about her bravery story. Plus there's your It Takes Tits power roundup at the end to help you get your own show on the road. I think we connected over tarot cards and espresso martinis. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so tell me where you're at. How's life treating you? Well, um, the pandemic kind of closed off my um, co-working space that I was running. So I was originally doing Thrive, Freelance Tribe. And I had a sea view co-working space so that kind of mission got kind of cut short okay and then i i basically went all the way in and basically my addiction for this whole period has been screenwriting right okay which i started again january 2020 on the first of january i was in wow. my sea view office with sun the sun rising finishing my first tv pilot it was my New Year's resolution. It's a pretty good deadline, I thought. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been kind of addicted to that. I'm up to three complete TV pilots. I've managed to get literary representation now. Um, and in the background, I was a freelance digital marketer writer, so I'm kind of just navigating my way through this kind of balancing act now and also yeah. being a mum. So let's just rewind that. You just said three TV pilots. Yes. You said it so modestly. That's incredible. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm just finishing another one now. Like, um, I've got about 10 work in progress, basically, with my ADHD, which I was diagnosed in 2019, 19, so it's all yeah. quite new to me. Um, I like to dart between. Okay. Um, so it is a big deal for me to have three complete pilots. I mean, I didn't know when I started screenwriting that you were allowed to just write the pilot, and as soon as I discovered that... Yeah this was like amazing to me yeah <laughs> that you that just write me. the pilot you don't have to write a full film where it has an ending yeah i just build a world and characters and have a twist at the end boom done wow so once i discovered that i got a bit addicted to it okay and that's your comfort zone would it be fair to say or is it yeah not every single pilot was meant to be a film though yeah i see yeah. <laughs> and then i got a twist and i was like i think it's ended quite nicely actually there. how do you get into that that must be because we were talking earlier about writer's block and getting into the zone. How do you get into the zone? Well, I was doing really well. I've, I mean, from having a beautiful CVU office to being in my bedroom with a desk yeah. was a harsh, but I have yeah. it facing the window and I was doing quite well, but I have hit a point now where it's just not working anymore for me. Mm. So, I mean, today I'm at a co-working space, um, which I found 
um, which seems to be doing the job again, so being out in a different environment. But I've realised quite how strongly I'm a product of my environment. Yeah. And that's why I invested in that space originally. I mean, I never could afford it. Yeah. But I knew I needed it, and I knew that I'd kind of rise up and be more powerful as a consequence. And I did, and I tripled my earnings. But then, of course, I was so busy working. Yeah. I wasn't doing my things. Yes, yeah. So, in a way, the pandemic um, was a blessing in disguise in that sense. So it focused you? Yeah, I think I came from a place of ego when I was doing that. I think I'd been through quite a tough time, friendships and stuff like that in a previous co-working space. And I think it was my way of building a tower and saying, this is my domain, I have done this, I can achieve, I can prove myself. And I think I got so far into this proving myself place that I lost what it was I wanted to do Mm. rather than what I wanted to show everyone I could do. And they're two different things? They very much are, yeah. I mean, now they've become one, that's the most beautiful thing about it, though. The screenwriting started as this thing that I want to do creatively. I never really thought of it as an actual thing. Yeah. And now that's become a a thing thing. Like, I've got an agent, (laughs) and I've got interest. So you must be good. And, you know, (laughs) I've kind of been given the golden key to Hollywood with some really interesting meetings last week, so... Um, now it's like, oh, so the thing that I thought was like the time-wasty, splitty, creative thing has turned into the actual power move that I needed to kind of prove myself at the same time to myself right. and others. How do you think that happened? Was it because you just started, you realised what was good for you and focused on that? How did it, how did it happen? I think... Like I say, I mean, I had a very different experience to most of my diagnosis because I didn't go through the NHS. Mm. Um, I found out through writing, so I had an assignment for Virgin. I was writing neurodiversity in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And as I was writing about it, I was like, that sounds really familiar. And then I reached out to an expert for comment, um, Nancy Doyle, who runs Genius Within. She actually did a show called um, Unemployable Me on the BBC. Reached out to her and managed to get myself a private consultation with her. So I had a very different experience. So their company actually helps people in businesses. They go into an employer and they help diagnose employees and then they adjust their jobs accordingly and help them recognise their talent. Wow. So my experience of diagnosis was very much, you are superior verbal. Mm. You're in the right career. Well done. I love that. Yeah, so that's how it was told. And then she said, you know, your visual is also high, but your processing is quite low, below average. So you may find that you struggle to listen or look like you're not listening, mm-hmm. or you're better in emergency situations because you're not really processing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And it all makes a lot of sense. So that's what brought me back to screenwriting because I realised I was trying to write a novel and that's not going to happen. Yeah, because of your level of <laughs> yeah. productivity. And yeah. yeah, well, uh, do you know what? I'm actually now being asked to write novels by my producers. They want IP, so they want novels. And I was like... Actually, maybe I could, but I can't create in a novel. Yes. I've realised the screenwriting, I'm too impatient for that. So the screenwriting allows me to create the world and the characters. Mm. And I might have to do it backwards and then write the novel on the back of a screenplay. That sounds like a really powerful discovery. So being diagnosed with ADHD back in 2019, but the way you discovered that, um, it sounds like you've really just learned to understand yourself and how you think and how you produce and how you create. Yeah. And that is... Where the power is, perhaps, would it be fair to I say? I think so, and I, they call it, they call um, a lot of adult women are getting diagnosed and they're calling them the lost girls. I actually realised on the way in, because I did my degree when I was 30, right. and I'm about to do a master's at 40, yeah. and I realised I actually got lost for 10 years, and it makes mm. a lot of sense. Even my partner's 11 years younger than me. Yeah, that's nice one. So it makes sense that everything in my life is positioned 10 years late. 
Yeah, okay. Because I do yeah. think I was just lost for 10 years where right. I was just kind of falling and flitting and confused and not really understanding myself at all. Yeah. Or the perception others were having of me. So, yeah, I think for me, my life did actually start at 30. Well, we should normalise more of that, I think. Who's to say that it shouldn't? I know. Yeah. And even with this masters, like you know, spoke to one of the lecturers and she said, "Just to warn you, you know, everyone else will be young." And I said, "And?" <gasps> she said that. Yeah. Just to warn you, why? What's going to happen? Are you going to disintegrate in that? I company? did it when I was thirty, and I can do it when I'm forty, and I did it at thirty with undergrads, so I'm fine, thanks. Those conversations need to happen more. I feel. Yeah. Like, you know, let's normalise um, that it's okay to start a degree at thirty or a masters at forty, or to yeah. lose yourself for ten years, or whatever it is it's it's okay because that's your truth that's your life looking at bravery i mean where do we begin with you you sound like you have taken a lot of brave steps that yeah. all surround just being who you are and finding and discovering who that actually is yeah i mean i was in a podcast last night about soul purpose and mm-hmm. we covered some of this and um yeah, I traced it back. She, she asked me, where do you trace back this feeling? Because we were talking about how I can be really powerful mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm manifesting, everything's wonderful, but one negative reaction to me yeah. can really bring me down. Mm. Like I can, I can feel that that person is judging me right. um, and it just it breaks me in that moment. And I hate that. I hate okay. that that person's taken my power and when that's what we were discussing. And she said, when's the first time you think that happened? And I realised I traced it back um, when I was a kid. I was I was kind of in pantomime shows, ballets at the theatre. Mm-hmm. But I learned very early that I'd get bullied at school if I was to talk about it. So I learned very early not to talk about it, to play it down, okay, uh, not boast. And then I got so kind of drowned in that kind of shrinking myself that I ended up begging my mum to change schools because I didn't know how to shift. And then I changed schools, I've actually got a whole screenplay on the back of this, and I changed my identity in the process. So I went from being shy and hidden to amazingly quirky and loud. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dyed my hair bright and I kind of made sure I was just the weird, strange one that couldn't be categorised. Therefore, I couldn't <laughs> be bullied or have to bully. I'd be the weirdo that no one knew what to do with them. And I think that was kind of where all this came from, is like this stepping out and it working it did work I was in the roughest school in Portsmouth but I still survived it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt though yeah because if you go out being bold and different then you're going to get people that judge or or alienate you and it it just it sucks because it never gets easier yeah I just try and surround myself with the people that accept me mm-hmm. yeah um but I say that's that's kind of the key to my bravery that and my you know, when I was a kid, I was, my mum had me in dance classes. The only reason my ADHD wasn't picked up, actually, because I was dancing like seven nights a week. I was in competitions, competing, dancing. Right. I was a champion in disco. And and I think that's where all that confidence and bravery stems from, is that I was still, didn't matter what was going on, I'd still get up and I'd dance my ass off. And express yourself. Yeah. yeah. And I'd get rewarded for it. Yeah. So I think I was not lucky, but I think, yeah, I was. I was lucky to have a mum that just made that happen, that made sure that I was on stage and... You know, in the past I've always been like, I always like to celebrate my wins, which I now understand is because I need to process them. Mm. So my social media is actually my way of processing. Yeah. I don't believe it's real until I've posted it and I see it and then I reread it 
and then people validate that that's a real thing and that's good to celebrate and then after a while it goes in okay so I use my social media in a way as kind of like charting that to remind myself like a journal yeah Yeah. definitely um but I've had friends along the way saying you know you come across as arrogant sometimes or um you you know it's a bit boastful it's a bit and and it makes me shrink down again and I'm like wait hang on why is it boastful to just be excited about the good stuff? So yeah, I'm trying to get the good balance and share vulnerability as well as success and hopefully people will mm. see me less as arrogant, apparently. I don't think it's arrogant to express and <laughs> celebrate yourself at all. I think it's a wonderful thing to do and why shouldn't we? It's not even boasting, I think there's such negative connotations around that word, boasting. Yeah. Um, why not? I know. Why the hell not? I've done this. I don't understand. I mean, like, you know, if you walk into a room and everyone's starving and they've got no food and you go and look at my burger, hmm. I get that that's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a line. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's a hard balance to strike. But even, you know, a client that I was with, um, it's called me arrogant and dismissive because I dared to say that a particular approach to some content was not ideal or best practice. Mm. Um, told to stop chatting back um, yeah so Ooh, I've properly removed said client from my list but yes. that means of course um, back in grafting and looking for the work but see that to me sounds brave in itself you've uh, you knew that wasn't suiting you you knew that wasn't right morally with you um, mm. and it you know you chose to walk away from it or end <sighs> that relationship because it didn't benefit you anymore it was hard but yes yeah. I did because it's really hard to work out because I've got a lot of workplace trauma and decisions that I've made maybe less informally mm. is that a word I'm going to say it, it is now. Um, so I always try and go, right, am I doing this based on fear or is this a legit decision? And I always try and do that. And, okay. um, and I was just like, no, I'm not going to be spoken to like that. And I happened to sign a deal on my screenplay at the same time as it happened, mm-hmm. which gave me the extra bravery. Yeah. Had I done that, if I hadn't signed that contract, I don't know, because I've got a little one, I'm a, you know, I'm the sole owner and I'd been relying on them for the whole pandemic, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of relieved. I mean, the deal pulled eventually and I had no money. Right. Um, but I am relieved I did it. Yeah. I've had since had an apology from the person above her about the way I was treated. So Good. it's all kind of come back around in a circle, which has been wonderful. The most powerful moment for me recently was I got invited um, by a producer to have breakfast at Claridge's. Very Don't fancy. you know? Um, which was already posh, but I was like, me, mornings don't happen. Like, I'm lucky if I get to a 2 p.m. in Brighton, which is 15 minutes away. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get a hotel the night before. Could yeah. not afford it at all. Yeah. But I was like, I'm going to have to. This is important. Yeah. And then I thought, well, if I'm in London already, my agent's been wanting to set up meetings. So I was like, sod it, I'll do three nights in London. Yeah. I absolutely cannot afford to do this, but I've got a feeling it's what I need to do. Yeah. So I did, and not many meetings were set up. I just had that breakfast. But while I was there, I kind of spontaneously, I got a response to a perm role that I applied for, which was terrifying for me. Like, I, I escaped employment in 2016. So. <laughs> escaped. Yeah, that's how I, I've actually got an article on this escaped employment announcement that I did, telling that everyone never to hire me ever. Like, I did an announcement in 2016. Um, I do feel differently about that now, so which is why I've started to reach out. I feel I know myself now, I understand myself, and I'm ready to navigate traditional employment. Wow. So that's been quite a threshold for me. Yeah. 
Um, and what happened is, while I was in London, um, the company that I'd applied for a job with, flexible, remote, mm-hmm. just some meetings in London, yeah. um, said, well, if you're in London, why don't you come and meet us? So I ended up in Soho in this lovely co-working space called Thora, if I'm not good. Um, and I meet this wonderful, wonderful woman by accident, an American podcaster, and we had this great conversation. I did oracle reading for her spontaneously in the lobby, <laughs> as you do. Um, as it was all do. coming together, and I had my big post polka dot outfit and my docks on and my leather belt, and I was like, I don't care. I didn't prepare for an interview. I'm just going to be myself. Yes. And I went all in, and I revealed everything about me and my ADHD, how I work. I said, I thrive 11 to 7. A Monday morning meeting would take me 24 hours planning. Sometimes I look like I'm not listening, but I just take longer to process. Um, on good days, I can do the work of 10. On bad days, it's like climbing a mountain just to do basic things. Um, that's me. <laughs> How did that feel, being that honest? It, do you know, it felt good, because in the past, when I didn't know about my ADHD, I'd just say, I'm not really a morning person. Yeah, yeah. You know, it just doesn't... Pigeonholing yourself. Yeah, it doesn't really come across quite as powerfully. So, yeah, I <laughs> kind of just laid it on the line, and then I ended up supposed to be just the content rubber, I ended up kind of completely giving advice on the entire strategy and website. Um, and then I came away and then they said, let's do a follow-up Zoom, got home to an empty bank account, a barely anything in the fridge moment, and I was like scrounging to find out what I'm gonna do to, and then I did the follow-up Zoom and boom, not only did I get it, yes, I got it on a five-week contract trial basis, so I get to try it out first. Oh. Which is even better because that means I don't have to go quite into the gauntlet of employment yet. I can yes. do a five-week contract. Yeah, yeah. So, so earnings are sorted. Mm. Um, all because I went to London for those three days, which I couldn't afford. Yeah. So you paid to play there, and it did pay off, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah, it paid off. <laughs> but I think that the power there is in you being authentic and just saying who you are. There is so much to be said for that. It's scary because you yeah. know it's going to put certain people off, but I've just learned as I've gone along that you want to put those people off. You don't want those opportunities. Mm. Yeah. If it puts them off now, it's going to put them off later. You're right. Yeah. So You might as well lay it on the line straight away. Yeah, why bother getting a job for a month and then getting fired or having to leave anyway? So you may as well just be all you. That said, in the past I have done that and it's still gone awry. Like they think, yeah. they think that's just interview me. Okay. Like it's right. a version of me that comes to an interview. It's like, no, this is me, yeah. 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I'm this enthusiastic all the time. Yeah, and they, you know what, interviews and, and situations like that are very contrived, I find. And there's a lot of bullshit because we're just putting our best self forward. Yeah. So the fact that you just put your real self forward and you nailed the job, you got it, you got the contract. Yeah. Um, you're proof. It blew my mind. It blew my mind. Blew your own mind. I blew my own mind because (laughs) it it felt strongly it was real and true. But when I got back to that empty bank account and I'm thinking, oh my God, we've only got like four nappies left. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, what have I done? Yeah. And you start questioning yourself and you go into panic and fear. Yeah. So when that happened, I was like, oh my God, I was right. (laughs) I am amazing. I have magical powers. (laughs) What would you say to someone who's listening to this saying that? I, I want to speak out, I want to be who I am and, and let everybody know who that is. How did you begin that process? Because like you said, it is hard. Yeah. Did you just go for it or It's definitely been gradual. Like the first proper moment that happened, and don't get me wrong, I've always been quite loud and out there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably when I was 
you know, left my husband, left my job, and I went to an underground full-time for three years at 30. That was probably the first moment. Yeah. And then I did that through the degree yeah. consistently. So I, mm-hmm. I ran my own magazine. I won an entrepreneurial award. I was a marketing manager for another magazine. I met my partner, Josh, who was the father of my child. Um, he was the hottest guy in the course. It did not go down well. Um, <laughs> who is this 30-year-old woman that has stolen the bit The, the, the hottest guy. Yeah. yeah. We all wanted him. swooped him out. Um, honestly, that was not my plan, just to be clear. Um, and, yeah, I think it started then. And then, of course, we came to the fear space again. So we left uni. We wanted to relocate to Brighton. I need to earn money. So I fell straight back into the gauntlet of marketing. Right. Ended up hopping employers because I wasn't my real me was not accepted it didn't matter how hard I tried mm. um, I was I think one employer actually no I know one employer actually confessed in a meeting what we're trying to do is break you down until there's nothing left oh. and then we're going to rebuild you how we need you to be for us it's just sent shivers down me and I just sat there and I'm 35 at this point and I'm going what you're trying to do Someone actually said that to you. I was like, I felt like you were doing that, but I didn't know it was an actual intentional strategy. Like, jeez. What do you do with that? What did you say? Well, I didn't. I buckled, and I think at one point I was so so upset because my partner was ill at the time. I think I collapsed on the floor once in a meeting and actually cried, and I was just left in the room to calm down. Like, my entire body was telling me something was Mm. wrong, and I wasn't listening, and eventually I was randomly, quite suddenly fired from that job after being told I was promoted general pattern that continued for me and marched out um, which really shook me and I never got a chance to find out why or what or anything and I imagine collapsing on the floor isn't ideal so it's probably on that that ilk but <laughs> it's not it's not ideal being told you're being broken down i mean but yeah there was wow. this constant like rising up me 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 and they're being bashed back down and that happened in a ricochet so okay. i became an editor of a magazine in london which was a big deal it was in the press and mm-hmm. um and i went in full me and i made it very clear at the beginning i was going to shake things up and they didn't like it when i did um and again i just got fired like just out of nowhere and um at the time, this is all in my screenplay, you'll start recognising it. Um, he literally pointed at me and said, are you going to cry? Are you depressed? That's why we don't want you. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, drop mic. <laughs> I know, I know. And I was strong in those moments because of my processing so slow. In those moments, I was actually quite powerful. And yes. most of the time, they'd, they'd end up kind of halfway through going, why are we firing you again? I'm not actually sure. And I'm like, me either. What was your reaction to that? Uh, what did you, did you the say person next or? to him was like, what is going on? Like, yeah. Did he just say that? And I just think I, 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 I shut down because it was, it was cry. Mm-mm. Or it was, I didn't know what was going to come out. So I just went very quiet and kind of suddenly kind of, I think I got into the lift and then got on the floor in the lift as it went down. And I remember standing at the train platform, just kind of staring at the tracks. And I, wouldn't, I wasn't going to jump. But it did look appealing in that moment, like it wow. really brought me to a low. Yeah. So yeah, so I went through a few ricochet moments like that, um, and then two kind of choosing to leave, and then a whole year being successful in a corporate company. Woohoo, I did it! And then I was in New York, I was there on business, and everything just wasn't going right. Like I, I should have been happy, I should have been in New York feeling like I was thriving. I got blisters on my feet from all the walking and then I lost my voice. So the only thing I was there for was this retreat and this big talk mm-hmm. and I couldn't speak. My voice stopped. It just stopped completely. I tried, I was like, Ugh, and I couldn't speak. So someone else had to speak on my behalf. 
my entire body shut down and said no and then eventually I listened um, and ever since I've been kind of forging forwards with the direction I want to go mm. that's not happening anymore it's like I was swimming against the tide constantly yeah. determined to prove that what I decided the first time was correct or that I can do the things other people do yes um, but now I just go with the tide and I follow the flow so if I get a rejection or something that I thought I wanted doesn't happen I go oh good that's a relief because that probably wasn't right for me so do you feel like it, these things, although painful at the time, have actually steered you in the direction you're intended? 100%. There is not one awful thing that's happened to me that hasn't led to something better. Right. So I'm learning that now. So whenever something terrible happens, and obviously it can get really terrible, and it's hard to believe that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, mo most big decisions have come off the back of one of my dogs dying. So when I went to uni, my little Trixie died. So she was 18, little Westy. Um, and my husband at the time, um, I got the call that she died. She was at my mum's. Um, and I got put the phone down. And he just said, do I have to come? Like to go bury oh, her. No. And I just said, I'm leaving you. Yeah. And got my bags and left. Wow. So it's moments like that that kind of steered me in the right direction in yes. terms of what am I waiting for here. Pain led you to something better. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Um, I hope that people don't... I think a lot of the reasons I share my stories and in my screenplays, there's always some realness in there, mm. is to hope that maybe people don't have to go through quite so much pain. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. maybe we can learn to navigate that a bit earlier. That would be nice. I'd like to have not had those. Yeah, kind of, of course. Ten years of being kind of shoved yeah. in the right direction. It would be nice to kind of flow a bit <laughs> yeah, skip or disco dance it a bit. But um, yeah. Do you think you'd be who you are and with all your realisations of who that is without that? Probably not. Mm. That's the difficulty, isn't it? Mm. But it's really sucky to think that we have to go through those things. Yeah. yeah. But then they're great better. screenplays. Yes. Like yeah. the comedy is insane. I bet it is. <laughs> you wrote it. How much of your own life do you draw upon for your? It usually starts with a memory. Yeah. Um, life after baby is kind of like a cold feet meets him and her. Okay. That's kind of based on me and Josh. So the eleven year age gap, the fact we met at uni. So it's life after baby, and you yes. see them at university in their wild kind of very um, physical selves. I did draw parallels with your, your yeah, life. and yeah. the the after baby of him being a stay at home dad and the kind of politics around that and mm -hmm. her being the the powerful one and the older yeah. one. And the older woman with the younger man, which is more frowned upon. But the characters do evolve. You know, I made my character less kind of romantic and positive-minded. I made mm -hmm. her more anti-commitment um, against anything that's conformed, whereas he's the romantic. Yeah, it kind of comes from realness. There are real memories in there. Um, to be honest, Lifetime on the Hips is based on a, a fat woman who kind of joins a parent hip-hop crew and she doesn't have kids. This happened to me. I did do that. <laughs> Um, so did. and embraces the F word which is a process I needed to go through to embrace the word fat again because I think I'm not sure why overweight is better <laughs> yes no I think the same obese yeah. overweight big why are they better than fat I think because we're conditioned to believe that they are but they're not though no they're not, they're not. No. so yeah so I was re-embracing the word fat so I wrote that um, and we did win the championships in actuality yeah all of these kind of 
process of self-awareness have all come out in screenplays. Really. I can see that, yeah, with your table scripts, um, which you can access through Jen's Instagram profile, which will all be in the show notes. Um, I find that there is a positive message in everyone, um, and a lot of it, for me, relates back to self-worth yeah. um, and self-awareness, and actually self-love as yeah. well. So would that be your own journey? Yeah, definitely. I think accepting who I am, um, responding to the way others react to me and starting to understand that that's not all unfounded as well and like facing Mm. your ego on head on. Um, I mean, some of it is, some of it is just being misunderstood, but there's also, you know, if there's a consistent pattern of response to you, then there's something happening behind that. So it's really digging into the stuff you don't want to see about yourself. And would that be fair to say that that kind of, digging deep and getting to know yourself is your bravery yeah I'd say so I'm, I'm, a, I'm able to be vulnerable um, yeah put myself out there and blind belief is just a system I've built probably pretty much since 2016 I've built this blind belief system that I know that I know how to get shit and I know how to get stuff done and I know how to make fix things mm-hmm. I just have to be in the right headspace to do it yeah. so I try to ride out the bad and then once I'm back, as Joss calls it, doing a gen, um, <laughs> I just do a gen, um, and we're fine. And what's great actually is he's very because he's he's um, Asperger's and ADHD, but maybe more ADD spectrum. Okay. Um, and he has had to work really hard on trusting that because he's yeah. now the stay-at-home dad. Yeah. So I am completely responsible for us surviving. So it's taken a while for him to start seeing that I have those powers. <laughs> Right, because okay. it's not yeah. logical to him and he's very structured and logical yeah. um, but now he's starting to get it and even when things look like they're terrible he knows that he just has to support me and make sure Jessica's happy mm-hmm. so that I can do my thing Yeah. and then once I do my thing we're fine and you'll sort it yeah Yeah. so you're a good team do you so give yourself a break over time and how long things take uh, again because that's another social conditioning isn't it you've got yeah. to do it in this time at this age this is the next step for you in your life because we told you. Are you blown that apart? <laughs> I've definitely blown that apart. I don't care about that. There's things I probably should finish, like other scripts, but <laughs> I'm not feeling them right now. They're not alive to me right now, so I'm not going to finish them right now. And what about judgment? You, me- you mentioned it earlier that in your earlier years, judgment was something you struggled with. <laughs> um, but then in your own words you know I do stand out um, I am loud I don't care about that I just tell them who, who yeah. I am I guess you're setting yourself up for judgment right I am I'm putting myself right out so I've got to get used to it because yeah. I'm making some brave choices so yes. I need to get used to it I've got better at not caring about people I don't care about okay but I do get really upset if it's someone that either has some form of power over me mm-hmm. or is someone I really care about. That's when it really hurts. I feel that vulnerability that you've mentioned a few times now is actually a very brave thing to be. Uh, I don't know if you've read Brené Brown and Daring Greatly. Well, I'm pretty shit at reading, given right. the ADHD, but I'm trying. It's on a podcast. <laughs> okay, that go. Like, yeah, it's the whole concept that vulnerability is actually the glue to every other emotion. Oh. And if you kind of uh, bat vulnerability away or lock it away because you're afraid to feel 
a state of vulnerability that you could be in danger of, of uh, on, you know, kind of locking away all those other wonderful things that it brings. Mm. So it's actually not a weakness, it's a strength and the key to so many other great things. Wow. You, but you sound like you've been doing that. I had this story that I told myself that I'm really real. Okay. And I was watching someone tell a story really vulnerably and I was like, shit, I don't know what my story is. My right. actual one. Wow. I know the one I tell at interviews. I know the one that sounds really good, yes. quirky. Yes. But I don't know the real one. What's the real story? So I started digging, and that's when I put the article out that said, I don't belong to employment mm. on LinkedIn. Yeah. Someone once said to me, You just seem to always push a boundary further. Like, we give you one <laughs> inch and you just take a mile. And it's true because if I see opportunity, I will take that opportunity. Great. Uh, maybe that's bravery too. I don't know. I think it is. Oh, Jen, where can we find you? Like, all your amazing well, TV I'm pilots. quite high-ranking on Google, so you can just type Jennifer LaRue. But also... And a load of genius will come up in your screen or start to sparkle. <laughs> that actual glitter comes up when you yeah, type my name. Um, but yeah, oddcontent.co.uk is kind of my film side. Um, or just generally Jennifer the Red, Twitter, Jen the Red Brighton, Instagram. Yeah, check out the show notes, everybody. Um, so to summarise and end, what is your bravery, Jennifer LaRue? My vulnerability and authenticity. Wow, bro you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I love, love, loved talking to Jen. She's so authentic, so honest to herself and to others that she's a pleasure to be around and so refreshing. Definitely more espresso martinis are on the card or the cards if we do tarot again. Thanks, Jen. What I do with every show when we have guests is to draw down five tips that are inspired by them. So here's five ways to be unapologetically you, inspired by Jennifer LaRue. That rhymed. One, express yourself. Channel your energy into a hobby or experience that allows you to let go and let it all out. It was disco dancing for Jen. What is it for you? Two, celebrate your wins. Establish a method that allows you to process and celebrate your achievements, whether that's journaling, publishing a post on social media, or sharing your news with supportive friends. Why the hell not? Three, know your values. Identify what does and doesn't serve you morally, inwardly, wholly. It will help you to relate experiences people, their treatment of you and your reactions back to what's important to you and let go of the shit that isn't. Four, trust in the process. Fear can often prevent us from grabbing opportunities or even creating them in the first place. We can go inward and feel so overwhelmed by what we should do or could do that we end up doing nothing at all. Take a step back and try reframing your reaction to challenges. For example, See rejection as redirection. There's always a lesson in guidance and life's events if you just listen in. Finally, five, be brutally honest with yourself and others. It might be scary to be authentic and put your real self forward. But as Jen said, if laying it on the line puts people off now, it'll put people off later. So you may as well be all you from the start. Now, let's get the show on the road. Bye.